1: I remember being at this park earlier last year in 2023 and watching golfers tee off and people on the other side in Mexico, uh, on the river walk on the other side, enjoying picnics and playing music.
0: Aurelise Hernandez is a reporter at The Post, and she focuses on immigration, Texas, and the U.S.-Mexico border.
1: This place is completely different now. There are just... Rolls and rolls of rolls of concertina wire placed over uh, this sort of green barriers.
0: Aurelise was standing in Shelby Park when she recorded this. It's in Eagle Pass, Texas. As she said, it's a place where people regularly gather to play sports or just meet up with their friends. But in January, it was seized by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And he ordered the installation of razor wire, which has made it harder for migrants to cross the river at Eagle Pass.
1: Right now, I can see Texas military department soldiers, National Guard, on top of uh, shipping containers that they placed here um, about a year ago, lining the top of those shipping containers with even more coils of uh, concertina wire, or as it's probably known best, um, razor wire. And they've got heavy equipment out here. There are several Humvees. And I just finished talking to a young man from Venezuela who's been roaming up and down the US riverbank of the Rio Grande for the past two days with his girlfriend who uh, her leg is no longer bleeding, but a, it's, she has a bloody leg from having been caught in the razor wire.
0: U.S. Border Patrol wants to be able to cut the wire to reach the river and aid migrants in distress. The U.S. Supreme Court has ordered Abbott to allow that, but Abbott's troops are installing even more wire. The result is a standoff in eagle pass between the Texas National Guard and federal U.S. Border Patrol agents. And Abbott's actions have defied not just the Biden administration, but the federal government's authority to control the border. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, February 2nd. Today, our explains how a small Texas border city became a symbol of the partisan fight over immigration. And how this standoff is raising new questions over the powers of states versus the federal government. So tell me a little bit about Eagle Pass. Where is it and what are some unique things about it?
1: Eagle Pass is a border community, border city, about 140 miles southwest of San Antonio. It's kind of an isolated town. It's the largest community in Maverick County, Texas, which has about 74 miles of of riverfront. It's a binational community like many other uh, border cities. Its sister city on the other side in northern Mexico, Coahuila, is uh, Piedras Negras. And so these two communities are super close in terms of the workforce that they share, the economies they share, and the fortunes and histories that they share. Um, Eagle Pass, as of late, really the last two or three years has sort of become the backdrop to the migration crisis at the US-Mexico southern border, in part because of the huge numbers of people who cross. It's a relatively safe place to cross from that part of Mexico. Um, But also because Republicans have made it the backdrop of many of their policies, stances, rhetoric uh, with regards to the border.
0: And then we get to the last few weeks where this town really seems like it's at the center of what's looking like a standoff between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and President Biden. How did that happen and what has escalated of late that has made this the center of so much controversy?
1: Well, recently, Governor Abbott has made a big deal about the razor wire and Border Patrol. He's placed, you know, unspooled thousands of layers of razor wire on the Eagle Pass Riverfront with the purpose, in his mind, to deter migrants. And Border Patrol, because they need to reach migrants who are in the water who might be distressed or whatever the case might be, have been cutting that wire. That conflict led to a court case and now... Texas National Guard, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, state troopers, will not let Border Patrol into about two and a half miles of of Eagle Pass Riverfront.
0: So I want to go back and understand a little bit more about where Texas Governor Greg Abbott is coming from here. What is he trying to accomplish with this razor wire? And what are the other attempts that he has made in the past to um, try to stop people from coming over the border?
1: He's arguing that the Biden administration is not following the law, not following federal immigration law and not defending the borders of Texas. He's used words like invasion and, and other kinds of language. But is it, Including the people coming across the border are cartels and gangs and smugglers and human traffickers. And as and a result have- of his argument that Biden has abdicated his responsibility at the border, Texas has a responsibility to fill that vacuum.
0: And this is part of what is called Operation Lone Star, right? Can you talk a little bit about that and um,
1: what that is, what Abbott has been doing? So Operation Lone Star, which was launched in March 2021, was this multi-billion dollar program to surge uh, personnel to the border, state troopers, uh, Texas National Guard. And we have the Texas Department of Public Safety that uh, we've launched what's called Operation Lone Star. And the Texas Department of Public Safety, they are stepping up to assist and trying to secure our border. And part of that is also just in response to constituents who are tired of dealing with sort of the effects of of migration on their communities, particularly rural communities, ranching communities, uh, where many folks who are trying to evade Border Patrol are traversing.
0: So as it stands right now, can you just describe to me, like, what does it look like in Eagle Pass? And, like, where is this razor wire? What's happening around the razor wire? What's happening
1: on both sides? Eagle Pass is not a huge city. It's about 30,000 residents, but they really do love their riverfront park, and it's kind of this idyllic place. If you can imagine a golf course and a very short shoreline right into the river underneath two international bridges, this sort of tower. And you can see Mexico on the other side. Mexico has a a higher bank, uh, so they have, like, a river walk. It's actually, like, kind of nice. But with the introduction of militarization, it looks like a forward operating base. The Texas military department has giant tactical tents out there. There are Humvees everywhere. Any, like, opening that, that you know, to the river, to access the river in that particular section are just these spools of, like, you know, messy razor wire with little spikes on it. I got my jeans caught in it recently <laughs> talking to the migrants who were on the other side. And the way the standoff looks to an everyday person is basically this Park, you have soldiers everywhere sort of guarding these entrances and they control access to it. So basically it means that if Border Patrol tries to approach the park or tries to get access to the park and it's not, say, an emergency situation, they're turned away.
0: I'm also curious what this is like for people who live in Eagle Pass and have been seeing all this going on, both in terms of the number of migrants who have been coming through their community in an attempt to get to the US and be able to stay there, but also the more recent attempts by Greg Abbott to stop that.
1: Yeah, I I've spent a lot of time having dinner, sitting down with the several residents and leaders of Eagle Pass and the word is frustration. It's just absolute frustration. On the one hand, they understand that the volume of people who are coming across the Rio Grande is presents a major challenge and problem to their community and to their state and they're sympathetic to that.
0: You know, for us, it's, you know, becomes frustrating.
1: Jaime Rodriguez is a fourth generation owner of his family grocery, which has been around for almost 85 years in downtown Eagle Pass. And he, on the one hand, he you know is sympathetic to migrants. On the other hand, the volume is just too much and he understands where Greg Abbott is coming from. Uh,
0: living here on the border because we have people making decisions for us who aren't from here and don't know how the people that live in Eagle Pass and Maverick County, Piedras Negras and surrounding communities live their lives. Uh, They take, they're taking our, I guess, way of life and dictating to us what we can do with our own personal lives. You know, being from. So when he's talking about like his feeling that people who don't know the situation here are the ones who are making decisions that affect the lives of the, the people in the community, he's talking about the federal government there. Then
1: he's talking about the federal government and the state government. He understands why the governor is doing what he's doing. But he also doesn't think these are actual solutions, and he doesn't think that the federal government has put forth actual solutions to this. But also, these are folks who themselves have immigrant stories or who themselves have been in this region for many generations and are also deeply sympathetic of migrants. The razor wire has hurt a lot of people. A lot of people try to get over it, try to get under it, try to get through it. and end up with cuts. They've been in the hospitals, or hospitals are had seven, eight-hour waiting times for people to get their feet sho- sewed up, and and then these people don't pay. They're, they don't have any money. They don't have any insurance. So I spoke to Mike Garcia, who's a longtime member of the Chamber of Commerce and a retired insurance salesman here in Eagle Pass. He's a Republican. And supports much of what Greg Abbott has done at the border, but is cognizant of the impact that it has on migrants and also on the resources in his community. So it's been a drain on the resources locally as far as as uh, what's happened here. Mm -hmm. The other thing with all the migrant influx, the drain on the people at the CBP having to go process, you know, five, six thousand people they had to close the the lanes that do the inspections and that's why the bridges had to close and people in Mexico had 8, 10, 12 hours, 15 hours of waiting time because they had one lane open. I mean, their park has been taken over. This is a, a park that was central to city life. They had festivals planned for this year, including Eagle Passes on the the path for the Total Eclipse this year. They had big plans for a big festival and had invited musical acts and now they don't know if that's something that they're going to be able to hold. And that's a loss of almost a million dollars. And, you know, there are other events and things like that. So sort of It's this tug and pull and not knowing, you know, what options are available to you. And they also blame the federal government for not having gone in and reformed immigration law the way that it needed to 30 years ago that, in their view, has placed them in this situation today.
0: When I hear um, oftentimes Republicans talk about this, um, they talk about the problem of increased crime and the damage to the the local economies of communities who have been dealing with this. To what extent was that reflected in the conversations that you had with people in Eagle Pass?
1: The impacts of migration on a community like Eagle Pass in this residence is myriad. On one hand, there are a lot of anecdotal stories about items being stolen, about break-ins to properties. The more rural you, areas have a lot more of those kinds of reports. But there isn't sort of a measurable metric that I've seen or that anyone's been able to provide locally, whether like crime itself is going up. There's absolutely a perception that crime is going up, but whether data supports that is is a complete other question. In other ways, the fact that all these people are in Eagle Pass In hotels, eating at the restaurants, you know, participating in the local economy has actually been really great (laughs) for them. But a lot of their ambitions look toward Mexico. They want to increase trade and commerce with Mexico. And as long as this is a situation that captures the imagination of both federal and state officials, they see that as a threat to their future economic fortunes.
0: After the break, our release explains how the immigration debate is playing out in Washington. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is cover-up season four, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Arlise, let's zoom out for a second. Um, Of course, this feud between... Governor Abbott and the Biden administration is heating up at the same time that the Senate is debating funding over aid to Ukraine, and Republican senators are linking that with funding to stricter immigration measures that they are seeking. So can you tell me a little bit about what's happening there and how what's happening in Texas is tied, and specifically in Eagle Pass, is tied to this larger debate in Washington?
1: As I understand it, there's quite a bit of wrangling happening right now uh, in the Senate. They're continuing to push forward with some negotiations on on border everything from you know how much money is distributed for relief to communities to you know how many border patrol uh, agents they they want to hire. In addition, on the other hand, you have the House and Speaker Mike Johnson, who signaled that the border you know bill is is dead, and that's something that they they're not going to support. And you know. That they're willing to wait this out until Trump, in their words, becomes president so that he could deal with the situation in in his way. Um, One of the things that Biden has signaled about, you know, his willingness to to move forward with a border bill would be to shut down asylum. Um, That would be. Huge. Um, many, many of these people who are coming are, in fact, asking for protection, asking for asylum under any number of situations. And the reality is that the majority of these folks do not qualify or might not qualify for asylum. However, it is our law that they have the right to go through that process, to speak to an asylum officer, to have their cases adjudicated. And that process right now is what's, you know, backlog. that three to four years and once and someone's been in this country for about that time, it's still sort of a really difficult proposition at the end of a four year long process to say, actually, you don't qualify. I know you've made a life. You might have even had children. You might have even bought a house and gotten a really nice job. But you need to leave now because, you know, you don't qualify for asylum.
0: I, I want to talk more about what Biden is saying here, because I find that very interesting. And obviously, that's a pretty big shift from where he was at, what, three years ago. Um, when he says, like, his willingness to shut down asylum, I mean, would that mean that, you know, people who have been waiting for a long, long time in the U.S. would, um, would then be told that they need to um, leave the country years after they arrived? Or does that also look like actually just shutting down the border and not letting um, people come through, essentially like giving Greg Abbott what he's seeking, which is not letting large numbers of people come through these border towns.
1: Well, yeah, it reflects a major shift uh, for Biden to Democrats and to the rest of his party. This is something that he would seriously consider. I want to remind listeners that, you know, immigration and asylum have been the thorn in the flesh of every, you know, administration, whether Republican or Democrat of the past 40 years or so. And in terms of shutting down the border, well, depending on what he means, if he's talking about shutting down asylum, that would essentially mean moving into a posture that anyone who crosses between ports of entry, so not at a bridge, not using other sort of remedies that exist, but cross in between and through the rivers and desert. Those folks would probably be subject to expedited removal, would be immediately removed from the country or turned back. To do that, you need cooperation from Mexico. One of the things that the Biden administration has been pushing is the the countries that are sending these folks or from where they're coming from is working with them to be more aggressive in not allowing them to pass through nine different borders in some cases to get to uh, northern Mexico.
0: Or at least... I'm curious, from your experience reporting on the ground and having these conversations with people about where they're coming from in all this, why do you think immigration has become such a political flashpoint? And what is it about this issue that has really resonated with elected officials and with the public, especially now?
1: Well, that's a tricky question. <laughs> Our team, I think Republicans realize that it's a humanitarian disaster that visually is pretty scary to a lot of people in this country who might have anxieties uh, about the kinds of people who are arriving not just because of their, you know, racial demographic or whatever, but also because of this sense that things are out of control and that the federal government doesn't know who is actually coming to the country. And and I, and I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I do, I do want to point out that, like, I don't think that's
0: just Republicans. I think a lot of, like, reasonable Democrats see the situation on the border, the numbers of people who are coming through, the fact that people are dying on the border, and say, like, this this also seems untenable.
1: No, absolutely. I think, uh, and, and when I say people who have These anxieties. I I do want to point out that, like, the mediatic argument here is that, you know, the, the folks who want on all sides, who want to see changes on the border, have done a good job of, you know, wrestling the narrative around this, right? Like, the images are undeniable, the experiences of individual people at the border are undeniable, right? Like, these are things that are very difficult to reconcile with, whether, you know, on a moral or on a humanitarian or on a legal perspective. Um, And if you already have this sense that the country is going in the wrong direction or that things are not prospering for you and your family, you know, seeing thousands of people who look different from you, who speak a different language, who come from countries that might be hostile to this country, um, that would scare you. The Biden administration mm-hmm. has allowed this to happen. The other side has allowed this to happen to some degree because they're not making the other arguments, right? Or explaining how immigration works. A very influential uh, borderlander down here is IBC Bank president uh, Dennis Nixon. For 40 years he's been, you know, getting red in the face trying to explain to people in Congress and, you know, across the country what are common-sense solutions, that there are specific things that can be done to make this seem less chaotic. Uh, Some of them are hard decisions, but he uses this metaphor when he talks to people about the border, which is that immigration in this country is like a kitchen with broken pipes. And instead of shutting off the valve so that you can fix the pipes, we send people in with mops. And that's been the posture of the United States since Reagan, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. or since Clinton, to it, some would argue, right? He's saying that, like, everything that we do to respond to this doesn't actually fix the problem. So you just have more, you know, pipes breaking, more places where things are deteriorating and falling apart. And that is a frustration that I've heard echo time and time again from people of all economic stripes who live in the borderlands.
0: I also want to come back to an issue you raised earlier in the conversation, this question over who has jurisdiction over the border, whether it is the federal government, whether the Texas National Guard can say, look, like because of the the urgency of this situation, like we can be here and, and take over control of the border. How is that playing out in court and um, what do you expect to see on that front in terms of making those decisions about about who
1: gets to control the border? Immigration enforcement and border protection is an enumerated power of the federal government in the constitution. In talking to constitutional law experts and scholars, They would tell you that Abbott and Texas does not have a leg to stand on. This is a part of what they do. They have no jurisdiction here. However, Abbott has invoked Article 4 of the Constitution that the states have a right to defend themselves from an invasion. You know, the actual lawsuit itself is actually quite narrow, and it's about razor wire. It's not about these sort of larger constitutional questions about sovereignty and whatnot. It's about whether... Texas can do what it's doing at the border and whether Border Patrol can cut the wire. And the Supreme Court has given the federal government the authority to cut the razor wire. And now they've kicked back the case back to the Court of Appeals for a hearing next week or in the coming days that will help determine and weigh the the arguments being made by both
0: sides. And yet it seems like even though, as you say, constitutional law experts are pretty clear that like— the federal government gets to be in charge on the border, there is this growing concern that this could escalate into some kind of potentially even violent standoff. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the kind of concerns are that you've heard or why people think that there might end up being some escalation in the kind of standoff between federal troops
1: and Texas troops? Yeah, University of Texas uh, law professor Steve Vladek takes these moves by Texas incredibly seriously. We haven't seen this kind of standoff since desegregation. And, you know, something that has been litigated in the courts is now sort of become a physical manifestation, you know, with National Guardsmen blocking Border Patrol from reaching the river, which is their jurisdiction. I think it's very serious when a state questions federal authority on something that is an enumerated power of the Constitution. And I think, you know, that has sent alarm bells across the country. But whether it will turn into something more than that, it's just a matter of of waiting and seeing. Uh, Mark Jones, who's a professor over at the University of Houston, who's been following Greg Abbott for a long time, does not think that Abbott will go that far, that he will eventually back down, that they're waiting for a SCOTUS ruling for him to say, You know, well, I tried and that, you know, that would still satisfy his constituents that he wouldn't go that far. The other side of that is many people don't think that Biden will call Abbott's bluff. Biden has in his powers right now, if he wanted to, antagonize Texas by federalizing the National Guard, which means that he would activate U.S. Army folks and they would command those soldiers who are now out there at Shelby Park And conceivably, right, there is a scenario, there is a world in which the federalizing of the National Guard in Texas means that those same soldiers who put up that razor wire and put up those barriers would dismantle them under federal uh, U.S. authority.
0: Arlise, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your reporting here. I appreciate it.
1: Happy to do it.
0: Aurelis Hernandez covers the border for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins and Monica Campbell. Thank you also to Christine Armario. Our team also includes... Maggie Penman, Rina Flores, Alahe Izadi, Ted Muldoon, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Bishop Sand, Rennie Fernanski, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Peter Bresnan, Allison Michaels, and Renita Jablonski. Have a great weekend, and remember, if you love this show, help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.